irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. Talk Radio, this is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. Welcome to another Sunday night of Max and Friends. Well, it might not be Sunday. It might not be Monday. It might not be Tuesday. Who even knows what day it is anymore? But what I do know is if you miss any part of this show, or if you're listening to us on Spotify or on any of the places where you find your podcasts, then you'll know that it is the day you're listening to this too. So I also need to remind you that you can go to latalkradio.com backslash Max, and there you're going to find 12 years of archives. So... They're in there. They're all there. You can love them on the go. Take them with you. Listen to us and give me feedback. Tweet me at Max Tucci. Instagram me at Max Tucci. Let's keep in touch. Let's keep the conversation going. And let's just be in this perfect moment of right now. You know, I always say where we are right now is exactly where we're supposed to be. And for some of us, that's in beautiful places all over this world. And for some of us, it might be in mourning or in sadness. So I see you, I hear you, I love you, and I'm thinking about all of you who, you know, who aren't able to enjoy these moments right now like some of us are. So, you know, we're going to create a space tonight, a space where you can just come to Max and Friends, relax, have a good time, and also think about creating a really beautiful space for your home because we have an amazing guest here tonight who has really created a beautiful home for himself and his family, but has also created the most exquisite candles. And we're going to talk to Harry in just a moment here on Max and Friends. We're going to talk about the industry and also creating that essence and also hear a little bit about his life and how he can maybe inspire you to create something in your life. With that said, I have to congratulate my friend Letty Alvarez. You all know Letty from uh, Cake Wars and Bake Wars and all the cupcake shows. Well, Letty has a new podcast called My Sweet Business with Letty Alvarez. So I want you to check that out. And speaking of checking things out, please do me a favor and go to Fredericks and May. They're an amazing design studio in Brooklyn. Fredericks and May, M-A-E dot com. And I will tweet it at Max Tucci so you have more information there. If you follow them and you sign up for their newsletter, you'll get 15% off of your orders. They sell one of my favorite products, which are these big um, cone incense rings. You know, I'm in Florida right now and um, the mosquitoes are are heavy right now. So I'm burning those uh, citronella incense cones around the property and they are super. Speaking of Last Sunday's show, I have to tell you, was an amazing show with Gordana Birnat. We spoke about really exploring fear. And we also spoke about how we need to love life more than fear death. And then Hunter Cross is here and we spoke about risk management. So the reason why I bring that up is because risk management is, I think, what we all need to be talking about right now. What are the risks we are willing to take while using common sense? So I really want you to listen to last week's show, latalkradio.com backslash max, because it's really important to to hear that show and to realize like this is where we need to be. This is where the media needs to be in speaking to 
really understanding risk management. With that said, I am going to Colorado on Saturday. We're flying there and I'm excited to fly there. And I've weighed all the risk factors of the reality of where I'm going. And we're going to, I have a home in in Colorado, so I have to go there. I want to be in the mountains. I would just want to be in a new space. I'm sure all of us do. So if you're unable to go to the mountains of Colorado, then you're tuning in to the perfect show tonight because maybe there's a candle that will bring in the essence of the Colorado fresh air and pine needles. So with that said, I have to welcome my guest tonight, the one and only, you've seen him on QVC, New York Times calls him the king of home fragrance and and celebrities like Martha Stewart and Elton John, Oprah Winfrey regard, regard his nose as the best in the business. So welcome to the show, Harry Slatkin to Max and Friends. Welcome. Hi, Max. And I do have one. It's called Mountain Air. So that'll be your Colorado moment. There you go. So I knew you would have one. If there's if there's an escape that anyone can go to, Harry has an essence for it. So what is it called again? Mountain Air? Mountain Air. You know, I'm burning bamboo right now. The bamboo fragrance. Oh, my right. gosh. It's so hypnotic. I walk through like the cabana to the house and then we have bamboo on the property. So it's like it really brings me into the whole essence. I I, I love your candles. They're so great. So there's so much to talk about, Harry. You have an amazing career. Not only a career, you have amazing products. But let's go back to like Harry Slotkin. This is your life. So let's go oh, back God. to <laughs> That's called a that's called a hot flash. Is that a hot flash? And it's not just yes. a Florida hot flash, right? No, I can already feel my, no, I'm in Florida myself as well. And I actually just got a hot flash with that. But okay, where do you want to start? All right, let's start when you were 15 and when you started your first business. Is that a fair place to start? Sure. That's when it all began, I guess. Okay. So tell us about how you were 15, you started a business, and what you understood about business at 15. Sure. So to understand a little bit about it is I grew up in a a New Jersey suburb called Montclair. Mm -hmm. And so we had a sort of a normal life, if you can call it normal. I don't know if anyone has a normal life. But my father died when I was 13, and my brother and I sort of started becoming sort of the people to really run, run the house with my mother. And my brother went off to college, and he came home from college, and he had a red sweatshirt. And he threw it in the wash and he ruined my mother's napkins. They were from a French company called Porto. Back then, Porto was mostly known because they had done the bed linens when Mrs. Kennedy was in the White House. And then they became known for the most expensive linens in the world. And she had gotten them as a gift. Mm-hmm. So when my brother ruined them, she turned to my brother and said, good, now go replace them because you ruined the napkins <laughs> with your red sweatshirt. And my brother couldn't afford to replace them. So my family was in textiles. So he went to the warehouse and he took some fabric and he cut them out. What made Porto was this scallops. They were all scallops on the edges. And so he actually um, cut them out, had my mother's housekeeper sew them. And my mother liked them so much, he made some extra sets. And then my mother's friends started saying, "Could, could could we buy some sets? And the next thing you know, we had this little cottage industry of my brother coming home on the weekends from college and me sitting in my bedroom at home cutting it out. I was very arthritically shaped um, hands for the, the beginning of my my life. But I would sit there and I'd cut the scallops out on all these sets and we'd sell them and we were making extra cash. Wow. And then one day, one of my mother's friends 
said, you know, these are so great. You should take them to Bloomingdale's. And then this is, remember, this is when I was 15. I'm 59 now. So back then, Bloomingdale's was it. A man named Marvin Traub ran it. Even when the Queen of England came to America, the only thing she asked for was to go see Bloomingdale's because everything they did was bigger than life, over the top. So not knowing that there are buyers and there's a structure to a department store, my brother and I called up Marvin Traub. And if you can imagine at 15 and 17, having the audacity to say to the chairman of Bloomingdale's, <laughs> we're going to revolutionize your store. It's Marvin, more like the courage. <laughs> I, I, I think the audacity. But anyway, <laughs> the thing is, um, Marvin said, come see me because that's the way he was. And mm -hmm. we did. And we showed him what we were doing. And he bought it. And from then on, it just started to expand and expand. And at one point, if I went to itch my nose in those days, there was a pair of scissors always attached. So we started to grow and we got we hired a cutter and the cutter would come in extra hours. And then the next thing you know, we started took over the warehouse I had mentioned. And we started growing till we were selling JCPenney and we were selling Neiman's and Saks and everywhere you could imagine. And it got really big really fast. And we had cousins in the warehouse and it was just it went from good to bad to good to bad because why is it bad? I had no knowledge, nor did my brother, on how to run a company at 15 and 17. We were just having the fun of sort of expanding yeah. it, and um, it just became overwhelming. That's what it became overwhelming. You know, I totally understand because my father passed when I was eight years old and they were grooming me to take over Delmonico's, right? So I found like New York Times articles and Greenwich Times articles. Little Max was cleaning the ashtrays and, you know, uh, polishing the silver. I had no idea what I was doing, but like you, I was enjoying and just having fun. So do you think creating was always until like... The re until the realness of it has to set in. Well... And like anything, it becomes a real business. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, fortunately, my mom was wise enough to say, Max, this is not the industry for you. So I kind of got to be, you know, to play a little bit more. But well, I, I had to go to my mother, Max, I had to go to my mother and say, because I was applying to college yeah. and this took off and we were getting, I mean, we were magazine wow. article, everything. And I had to say, I don't want to go to college. I want to continue doing this. Yeah. That was a biggie for her. So I never went to college, Max. It took me years to be able to admit that, but I never went to college because really my college, my learning was running, it was called Samuels and Jay, our middle names, was running Samuels and Jay. And that's what we did. And, and it became a big company. Yeah, I too went to the school of life. I, my mom was like, what do you want to do? I said, I'm not going to college. I moved to Berlin and then I hated it. It was too cold. So I moved, <laughs> we have a house in Florence. So I moved to Italy and my mom was like, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to start a PR company. And then one thing turned into another and here I am <laughs> on air but for that's 12 the years. voyage, Max. That's yeah. the voyage that I tell everyone who ever listens when I speak at colleges or anything, it's the voyage that gets you where you need to get to. Yeah, yeah. And trusting in yourself. And trusting in yourself and being open to the mistakes and the and 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 just trying it. I mean, uh, you know, when you're blocked, I think it must be very frustrating to look back in life and not have tried the things you wanted to try. Yeah. You know, growing up, I always use the mantra my grandmother taught me that there are no mistakes in life, only opportunities and lessons learned. Exactly. So with that said, I was able to do so from like television to radio to so many different things. And I never look back and say, oh, I wish I'd gone to school because I would think it would have put blinders on me. <laughs> and who well, knows? For me, it only happened, the school part only happened when I then left the company because mm -hmm. obviously my brother and I became too big for us to handle. And then I went to Wall Street. And yeah, I want to talk about that, Wall Street. Well, that's when that started, the school thing started to interfere with my, um, my pride. And so, so that was the only period 
that I had a difficulty with it. Otherwise, I'm mentioning it now. I've never had a problem with it yet. Yeah. So going back, though, to creating, do you think creating was always in your DNA or do you think you were? Yeah, it was. And for those, I was ruined at an early age. Yeah. (laughs) But for those who are listening who have that creative, that creativity in them. Right. And they're scared to take the leap or to, you know, to have the audacity to call someone. What do you tell them? Because you were there. Yeah, I, I say you have to go with your gut and you have to try it. So if you have it in you, don't go a long time without doing it because you're going to always look back and regret it. And if you don't have it in you, because I think the scariest thing, Max, you know, you talked about all the voyages you tried. And I was trying voyages, even though I had a company at 15 that became big. I, I still had many voyages left and was scared to find what's the real identity of me, what's going to be wow. who I am. And I think it's unless you try different things and you fail, because mm-hmm. that's the biggest issue. I have not, and all of my friends who I consider big in the business have mm-hmm. failed. My best friend, Tommy Hilfiger, for his company went bankrupt. If you yeah. don't fail, you don't learn from your failures. Right. So my biggest thing I learned from the first company I started when I was young was I lied. And I'm with JC Penny made us, it was back when I was 15. So again, a long time ago, um, computers were just becoming something a business use. And I said, we were on computer. My brother and I said, yes, because we wanted those big orders. And JC Penny gave us an order of $35,000. We were getting bigger orders from from Saks. And they said, but we're putting it in their catalog. And if it hits, be prepared. So we said, okay, I mean, we didn't need a computer, 35,000, we could, we could handle in a notepad. Right. And it hit. And we were getting literally $150,000 and $250,000 reorders every three days. And then we started getting backlogged. And they would call up. And they knew from the rattling of the papers when they were calling, we weren't on computer. And then mm-hmm. they sat us down and said, let's talk turkey. This isn't, I can tell, we can't ask you where 6543298 PO is <laughs> and you get immediate answers. So what I learned early on is never lie. It would have been better to say to them, we're not on computer. And they would have worked it out. They would have figured out how to make it work. So thank God I learned that when I was very young. That's, you know, that's a wonderful lesson. But then you get bored. Is that true? I get bored, yes. And then you go to Wall Street. Why? From That's like one extreme to the next. From designing to Wall Street. Oh, God. The 80s in New York and Wall Street. What? That was the time. Exactly. I mean, movies, I mean, they were all coming out and they were all about fortunes being made on Wall Street. So I decided to go. Can I tell you a funny story about my interview? I would love to hear it. So I had a friend who worked um, at Bear Stearns. He was a a director of Bear Stearns. And he made the interview for me with the then managing director of Bear Stearns, senior managing director. Mm -hmm. I remember his name to this day, but I won't mention on air. And I walk in his office and it's everything you expect of an arrogant Wall Street firm. Big okay. cigar, Wall Street Journal in front of him, never puts it down, <laughs> keeps reading it, even though I'm standing right in front of him. Right. And I had come in all full of myself with a book of all the press we had and all the PR and copies of the purchase orders from JCPenney, et cetera. And I, he wouldn't put the newspaper down. So I thought I have two options here. I can either get up and leave because I wasn't getting the job. Or I could actually literally rip out the newspaper from his hand, ask him for two minutes. And if I, if I don't interest him in two minutes, I'll leave anyway. So I did. And years later, he told me he hired me, not because of what I could, he thought I could do, but the audacity that I had to actually take the newspaper out of his hand with a straight <laughs> face and demand this man to give me two minutes of his time. So 
you got it. You know, I'm not saying everyone should be rude or audacious, <laughs> but, but that's how I got my job at Bear Stearns. And I became a director of the firm. But Max, it wasn't my DNA. Yeah. You know, when I'd get into a room, I was privileged enough to be in rooms with some very important people on Wall Street. And when I'd get in that room, I was always the quiet one. At dinner, I'd be the quiet one because they talked a language that I didn't talk. Mm-hmm. Listen, I can talk money. I love to shop, so I can talk money that way. But right. the way they talk about it, I just couldn't do it. And so for me, it was just nothing that ever took to me. I became successful financially, but not successful in the way that it made me happy. I totally understand that. But let me ask you this question. Where did you find the chutzpah to take the newspaper out of his hand? Well, I've always had chutzpah in my life. So the point is, um, I think that comes from how you're raised. And my my family was always um, cup half full, never half empty. And mm-hmm. if you believe in something, go for it and always believe in yourself. So when I sat there, I said to myself, I'm going to leave. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to leave and not get the job. Or I might as well just grab the newspaper out of his hand and how dare, I was kind of mad, how dare he not even give me two minutes, really mm-hmm. how rude, I mean, we became friends years later. <laughs> but that's really what it was, it was, I have two choices here, get the hell out or grab that newspaper and make my plea. Yeah. I made my plea. You know, and it was interesting, especially down in Wall Street in the 80s. You know, my father left Delmonico's in the 80s to go to Greenwich, Connecticut to open up one. It was just so dangerous at night and no one was eating. And, you know, New York in the 80s was a whole different energy than it is today. So, yeah, I could understand why, you know, it was it was it was could be very boring. But so then you decide. Well, for example, I'll give you one thing. So my my first day I started at Wall Street was the Mm -hmm. 87 crash. Literally, oh, wow. my first day, and there were grown men around me crying. Now, mm-hmm. what we all learned when we look back, even now that we're in this pandemic, 10 years from now, five years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to be fine and we'll get through it and we'll say, oh my God, look at that. But to see grown men crying, so I guess I never could get attached to it because right. I would never ever have allowed, my, my, my walls went up right away to never allow me to get that emotional where I'd start crying over something. But it wasn't authentic to you either. It wasn't. It was not something I could talk about. I love to spend money. I just don't like to to talk about derivatives and. Oh and, no, boring. We won't even bring it up here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But let me ask you. Word. So, it's what direction? Word. What direction did your brother go into? Interior design. Oh, so, so he's actually always been the one in the family. So at a very young age, he always was interested in the arts. And mm-hmm. he had summer jobs at the Morgan Library in New York, the Metropolitan Museum in New York. And he thought he was going to be a curator. So it's always been a passion. And I was always the little brother that I dragged along to look. And so I spent my weekends going to museums and my family, actually, because of my brother's interest, you know, we'd go to places like Venice and we'd look at the art. And, you know, and part of it was I was a bit bored and part of it I was look, looking at it and intrigued by it. Yeah, so I would say that today my brother ruined me, but it was through his eyes that I got to see it. He happened to become a very important interior designer um, worldwide and, and, and do wonderful clients. And um, we decided after the, the first business not to work together, which is why I then went to Wall Street. But my heart and passion still went to something with a little bit more design sensibility, a little bit more um, of the arts. Beautiful. And then you did it. You started your fragrance company. So let's talk about how that happened. Yeah. So I worked on Walpair Stearns. Funny enough, I made it through eight years. I met my wife. Wait, hold on. So pause real quick. 
So eight yeah. years, were you just like banging your head against the wall with like sheer like, what am I doing this here? This is my favorite story. So I used to get into the office around 10. Okay. And they used to have a morning meeting at eight because the market's open. <laughs> right. So everyone would attend the morning meeting with the manager of the, uh, of, the of the office, except me. And he would call me in his office and he'd say to me, and I remember this one meeting in particular, he'd say, what are we going to do with you? He said, you're <laughs> never here for the eight o'clock call to hear all the information for the day. And everyone else is, how do I get you here? I said, you can't. I said, I'm just sending you now and you can rant and rave. I'm just not going to get here before 10. He said, what do you mean? I said, it just doesn't interest me to get here before 10. And he just sat there with one of those kind of expressions of, I have never in my life heard anyone give such an answer to their boss. What do I do? And honestly, he couldn't do anything. So I just never came in before 10. So That's yeah, I, I, I worked there, but it just wasn't my get out of bed, jump out of bed. Kind no, of you know, what's really funny. We share the same kind of chutzpah because growing up when I was going to school, I went to school in New Canaan, Connecticut. There's like little country club on top of the hill. And I was always like not prepared for that. You know, I grew up at Delmonico. So I had this extravagant life, always, you know, different people and celebrities. And that was my life. So <laughs> when I would go to school, I was never on time. And I remember being called into the, to the headmaster's office. He's like, you're never here on time. I said, well, you can call my mom and she's going to tell you that Max will always be late. I would stop and take go with my aunt Patricia. We'd walk the dog in the park before I was oh, like 10 o'clock. I don't even think I was at school yet. So I get you. And I think, you know, that's the we can call it, you know, courage, chutzpah, audacity, whatever. But that's what makes us succeed in our passion and in our authenticity. So well, I think it makes us our, as individuals for sure. Yeah. I don't think everyone adheres to that mantra. But no. I think that no, that's I think for true. individuals, but yeah. you're right, it, 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 you know, and, and just like the person at school, you have to scratch your head after a while and say to themselves, I've never heard anyone just say, yeah. to me, I won't be here when school opens or I won't be no, here. They I loved just, me for it. They loved right. me and hated it. And I remember when I finally graduated, they, the, the, um, I don't even know what they're called. The head, assistant headmaster was like, I never thought I would see this day. And so, and the manager know. said the same thing to me, the manager <laughs> who I saw years and years after I left Wall Street said, you do know you were the only person, but that's why you stood out. You were yeah. the only person and you did it your way. And I guess, like Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. Would that be your theme song for life? I, I think I have too many theme songs. You do. You have a whole track. So I do. I have, <laughs> whole I have too many theme songs. You mentioned Delmonico and the entrance I always see is Hello, Dolly, when she enters Delmonico yeah. and they're doing the, 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 the waiter scene around. I mean... For me, yeah. I consider every entrance always the waiter scene. When I walk in, that's what I'm, I expect. I love it. And Delmonico's is the is the backdrop. <laughs> of course, it's still it was open. The backdrop. 100, we're 187 years old. Still open. That's amazing. It's well, amazing. we're you know Delmonico's is closed right now. You know, as things are going to start reopening, it will too, and just support local restaurants. But let's get back to the fragrance company. So. You're on Wall Street for eight years, late every day, and then you realize I'm out of here? Or what What? What kicked you in the ass? Well, just that, remember, I want to change that. I just want to change that one thing. Matt, okay. not late every day. I was, according to me, on time. On time. Okay. Yes, I was on time. <laughs> to them, I might have been late. Right. But for You're me, true. I was on time. <laughs> You're true. And then I was working there for eight years, and I met my wife. And we were, we, we got, we became best friends. First, we hated each other. That's a whole nother show. But I became best friends. And um, we decided to get married. And when we were getting married, she had worked at Lehman Brothers for 12 years. And we just said, you know what? We want to change. She was bored. I was bored. And my brother, that interior designer, when he was finished with a project of a client he liked very much, 
he gave them her home fra- their own home fragrance because we had been brought up with my mother using home fragrance in the house. And so we loved home fragrance. And he thought it was a shame to spend all that money on interior design and not take care of your keenest sense, which is our sense of smell. So we smell before we do anything. Mm-hmm. So he did all these ladies. It were Dita, Bunny, Jesse, Susan, Yasmin, and Georgia. And so Yasmin's mother was Rita Hayworth, Princess Yasmin mm-hmm. Nagarcon, and Susan's husband was the chairman back then of Solomon, Susan Goodfriend, and Dita was Mrs. William McCormick Blair, whose husband was ambassador under Kennedy. So they were all kind of well-known ladies, but they were gifts to that customer. And mm-hmm. every time he went to a dinner, the lady to the left and the lady to the right would always say, can you do my candle? Or he'd get mm-hmm. phone calls. And so when we were getting married, he turned to us and he said, we had a little shop on 70th Street where we sold the candles as well. And he said, I don't want to ever do this again, but if you'd like to have it, take it as a, as a wedding present. And so we did, not knowing that the exact same moment that we said yes, a very famous woman named Rosemary Bravo, who really came to fame under Burberry because she became the chairwoman for turning Burberry all around, was then becoming the president of Saks. She was leaving San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And a friend in San Francisco, Denise Hale, who is this wonderful, you know, over, oh, bigger than life personality, said, you must go see the Sidekin Candles. And it had a cult following. If you opened up a book by, like, Givenchy's book, you mm-hmm. would read how given the candles by Mercedes Bass. It had a very unique following. And Rosemary said, I'm going to launch these. And she launched, uh, back then, you only found home products on the eighth floor, Saks. And most people who went to the eighth floor of Saks forgot why they were going to the eighth floor. Because by the time you got there, you were like, what am I here for? <laughs> and or I need oxygen. And so, <laughs> so we, I wanted to be in cosmetics because I had read all those great books on Helena Rubinstein and mm-hmm. Estee Lauder and Charles Reston, who founded Revlon. And I knew that their cleverness made lipsticks an instant purchase. And thinking that, I wanted Home Fragrance to be that. But she launched us on their third floor, which is their couture floor, in a very big shop. And Women's Wear Daily wrote a big pull-page article on us. And the next thing you know, we had everyone calling us to do their, their home fragrance collection. So in addition to growing ours, we, where we became the number one luxury brand in the world, we also were doing about 150 other brands. And in those brands, they're Ralph Lauren, Tory Burch, Vera Rang, NARS, Dior. I mean, yeah. to, to imagine yourself, again, going back to 15 years old, cutting napkins, to now creating these brands and helping these brands develop, what, do you, what is going on in your life? Are you feeling like, this is me? Yeah, when I was growing up, and I grew up in Monclin, New Jersey, which is just sort of a suburb of the city, but yeah. my mother always got all the magazines that I would look through, Town and Country, even back then, mm-hmm. if you spoke, or Bizarre, or any of those magazines, they were more a fantasy of life than a reality of life. I remember my first trip to um, um, San Moritz in, 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 in Switzerland, I, I was disappointed because I'm like, wait, where are the pictures of all those slaves with the sable throws on the women and the jewels and, and the men looking unbelievable? Uh, I didn't see any of that. I had raclette across the, across the way that was kind of icky cheese. My point is the magazines made it much more glamorous. So when I got to these brands and they asked us to do their home fragrance, imagining what they wanted through their dream was like me looking at town and country and imagining all these wonderful places that they showed. So I was able to reimagine it because when I met Ralph, Ralph explained to me that the way he's done his entire business is always thinking of it as a movie, everything. Mm -hmm. Everything he does is a movie, it's storytelling. And so for me, I was able to use that creativity as storytelling because my whole life was based on this fantasy storytelling because magazines 
look bigger than it is. Yeah. You know, there's a really great documentary about Ralph Lauren. If anyone wants to go see it, go see it right now. I believe HBO did it. And it's a wonderful documentary. We've got to take a break, Harry, but you're going to stay here. We're going to talk about so much more. So we're going to play a song right now from Sophie B. Hawkins on Max and Friends. My guest, Harry Slatkin, when we're back, we've got so much to discuss from advice for entrepreneurs to business during a pandemic and to where you're hiding out. So stay tuned. I'm your host, Max Tucci for Max and Friends. It felt like springtime on this February morning In the courtyard birds were singing your praise I'm still recalling things you said to make me feel alright I carry them with me today now as I lay me down to sleep This I
LA Talk Radio. This is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. That was Sophie B. Hawkins, As I Lay Me Down. You all know I did the TV show um, Eye on the People with Max Tucci on the uh, WSFL, the CW. And I interviewed Sophie, sat down with her, and we spoke about that song. You can go right now to ionsouthflorida.com and catch that show because it's a really great interview. And Sophie tells you what those lyrics means. So my guest tonight, Harry Slatkin, is joining me. We are talking about some good old advice that you all could take into this week on living your authentic life and doing what you have to do and realizing that where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be. And that's listening to Max and Friends. Harry, before we get started, how can people follow you and on Instagram and all those social media platforms? Sure. So I have my own Instagram under Harry Slatkin. I have Homeworks. I have Setworks. So you can follow me on any one of those. But Homeworks is my own. Harry Slatkin is the one I do all myself. So that's the best way to catch me. Perfect. Let's talk about Homeworks and how you merged into Homeworks. Sure. So there's an in-between life. So when I so what happened is is we sold the company that I talked about. We sold that to a company called Bath and Body Works or Limited mm-hmm. Brands or L Brands now. Mm-hmm. And when then I went there with the company when we sold it and ended up growing it to the largest home fragrance company in the world. And then after it got to that point, I stepped down and consulted for that for three years, but I had a non-compete. I couldn't be in the beauty business. So I ended up buying a fashion brand at the time called Bellstaff. Bellstaff was an outerwear business started in England in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And I bought it with my best friend, Tommy Hilfiger. And um, it was great. It was based out of New York, London, where we had offices all around the world. The most exhausting three years of my life. I said I'd do it for those three years I had my non-compete. And so um, I, we had a third partner and they own things like Jimmy Choo and Ballet. And so we sold at the end, Tommy and I sold our partnership back to the them. And then I went on to do nothing. I thought I sort of worked since I'm 15 and I now, take a little time off. Hold on. we ha- You know, it's so easily said with my best friend, I bought a company, Tommy Hilfiger. But what was it like to actually buy a company with Tommy Hilfiger? And again, that this wasn't real was this your forte would you say fashion or you're just interested in the business aspect well i like well so what, what I, i've never been in fashion so that was a first for me in fashion for you. here i was partnering with a man who is fashion i mean mm-hmm. probably one of the largest brands in the world has been doing this forever and so for me um it was a new voyage and i love new voyages i like the you know what the next is where is it going to take me Little did I know how much hard work. I've never worked so hard in those three years <laughs> in my entire life because we were worldwide. So we yeah. we so I, can I tell you how it all started when the first meeting with Anna Winter? I want to hear all about what Anna Winter's really like. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, Anna Winter, I can say nothing better about her. I think she's absolutely amazing. She's probably you know I, I, as I've told I said to you Max once before I'm a, a sort of a bastardization of the people I've met. Right. And what I take from Anna is while people may look on the outside and have lots of things to say that are critiquing her, this is one of the smartest businesswomen ever. She basically is the face of fashion. She knows it, but she knows that she's representing a multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry. And what, what rests on her shoulders is just amazing. So for me, this is the true story. So when we bought Bellstaff, we redid the brand completely. Um, And we added women's wear and had mostly been men's wear, outer jackets. We added ready to wear. And my first meeting was to show it to Anna Winter. And Tommy's very close to Anna. So Tommy set up a meeting for me to go to Anna's offices for lunch. And it was with this, with, with Polaroid, little Polaroids of all the models wearing the, with the product. 
And I had had huge ones made that were like 10 feet tall. But Tommy said, don't bring that. So about 20 minutes before where he's about to pick me up, he says to me, bring the big ones. I said, Tommy, uh, what do you mean bring the big ones? I'm not prepared. Literally ran around the street um, to, of our offices in New York City to get like a body bag to carry them because it's 10 foot tall, <laughs> big, literally body bag. And of course they wouldn't fit in Tommy's car, a Bentley. So I had to then now flag down some SUV on the street. There's Tommy, cool as a cuke in the back of his car going to the meeting. I've got sweat pouring down me. I'm <laughs> stuffing it in the back of the SUV and I'm going to meet Anna Winter for the first time. So with body bags, <laughs> with body bags dragging behind me, sweat pouring down and drenched in my suit. So we get up to the meeting. Of course, I set it up in the room. Um, Tommy says, don't put them out yet. Just keep them in the corner. So and I had Polaroids that I put in the corner. So we sit down at lunch. She comes in and it was the nicest lunch. It was just a small lunch in her private dining room. And we talked about everything, kids and schools and all that. And I thought, oh, she's not interested. At the end of lunch, she says, do you mind showing it to me? So I showed her the collection and she turned to me just as she thanked me and thank you. And she turned to me and she said, we love it. Just tell me what issue you want. And the door shut. I took to Tommy and I said, oh my God, what does that mean when Anna Winter says, what issue do you want? So of course I called her up um, and I said to her, I'd like a September issue. And she said, no, you don't, Harry. She said, because here's what's going to happen to you in the brand by September everyone's going to want it. And if I ask for September, no one else can have it. So why didn't I do you a few months before, give you a big story? She did. She gave me a six-page story in Vogue. Wow. And wow. she was right because then everyone else wanted for September and now I could go to them for September, the fashion issue, where she kind of launched the brand and said, I believe in it. And wow. ever since that, she came to our fashion shows. You know, Imagine I'm from Montclair, New Jersey. I'm thrilled to meet people like Tommy and all the How did you meet celebrities Tommy? I met. I met Tommy through, funny enough, through his first wife. She used okay. to be a shopper of our candles and stuff. And so I met her and they got divorced. And I always say Tommy got me in the divorce because I remained best, great friends with him. And um, that's how we just developed a friendship over years. And when, when what do you call it? When I, I would go to a fashion show, imagine I'm backstage now just me with Anna showing her the collection backstage. It was surreal. It really was. I can imagine. And there's such energy moment. during New York Fashion Week too, you know, so okay, that on top we of through, it. So one of the things she said is I started showing, we have a townhouse in New York. So my very first show, I couldn't afford to go to a big space. And so I showed it in my home and Anna said something, don't ever change this. But unfortunately we had to because now we were carried by every department store, yeah. every magazine, everyone was coming. And if Neiman's came, it would be 10 people. And if Saks was coming, it would be, yeah, it was a lot of people. So we had to go to big space and it lost that intimacy, but there it was. And for me as the part owner, chairman of the company, I had to work the room. So I had to work the department stores on the right and the, and, and the fashion people on the left. And it just became, I was so nerve wracked at every show, because before the show would start, and we always ran an hour late, um, because you had, you know, the chairman of Neiman's calling you and saying, I'm around the corner, but the traffic's bad. Can you hold the show? Right, right. Well, Anna Winter <laughs> hadn't arrived yet because she was running late from a show, or Glenda Bailey, who was a bizarre. I mean, you had all these issues that would delay a show. It's not that 
it's not that the the designers in the background eating grapes saying I'm not in the no, mood of course, to start the show. Champagne. There's a lot of things that but people yeah. think that they people think oh Mark Jacobs is in the back having a no. It's not that. There's a lot of no. things that go to delaying a show opening. Absolutely. And for me, my my stomach would be in knots until the show was open, and then I saw the re- the reception to it, their faces, and then of course you know you can exhale. Yeah. Show it. Where do you find the energy? I've never been short of energy, even at my tender old age I am now. I've never been short of energy. That's one thing okay. I've never had a problem with. So I didn't. But those three years aged me because, okay. remember, we'd show in New York, we'd show in London, we'd show in Milan, oh, we'd show yeah. in Paris, editor meetings, interviews, articles, fashion. You know, you got you ordered too many zippers. I mean, it was a lot. It was. Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting because my mom, I grew up in the fashion industry also. My mother was, she was big with Maximilian Furs. That's how I got my name. And of course, Revion and Jaeger, she opened on Madison Avenue. And um, Oh my God, my mother bought from Maximilian Furs. I remember that, yes. Your mother probably knows my mother. (laughs) I bet, because back in those days, there's only two furriers, Ben Kahn and Maximilian. That's right, that's right. And so, and then Revion, she went to, she did Revion, but then she also opened the... um, the Roberto Di Camerino store with Onassis at the Olympic Towers. So oh, I, I you know, remember those wonderful velvet bags. Yep, the Bogongi bags. Yeah. So, you know, so I, I know, like, I get, I feel that energy because I grew up in it. And for those who are tuning in right now, I'm your host, Max Succi. My guest tonight is Harry Slacken. We're just like, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm living, <laughs> going through those fashion weeks again and being dragged around with my mom. But if you're tuning in and you're daydreaming as to what's going on, Harry Slatkin's here. We're having a great time. We're talking about his career, his path, his journey, and where we are right now. So Harry, you've worked with tons and tons of celebrities and you have a huge celebrity following from rock stars to royalty. You've created candles for some, but you can't create candles for everyone. So how did you choose who you're gonna create candles for? I didn't choose, it just happened serendipitously. So for example, Elton John. So Elton John came into, we had a little shop, as I mentioned earlier, that we sold the candles out of in New York City on 70th Street. And one, there was this one woman who was buying the candles in such huge amounts. It was a gardenia-scented candle that actually we thought of having her followed. We literally would have a meeting saying, where is she selling all these? We'd go on eBay. They weren't on eBay. So she called up one day and she said, I'm with that man that I've been buying the candles for. You have to shut your shop down because he, he wants to come in, but he won't come in unless you shut your shop. That was a little shop. And we had everyone. It's how we met Oprah and Valentina would come with Giancarlo Giametti and Mrs. Onassis at the time. And so everyone came, but no one ever asked me to shut the shop. So she said, it's Elton John. I shut the shop because his spending habits are legendary. <laughs> right. So he came in and literally in about five to eight minutes, he bought $38,000 worth of scented candles. Yeah. And he, and what we learned is Elton was so addicted to scented candles that in every residence he had as a temperature controlled room for his candles will actually go around blowing out his own candles at night. So that's my kind of guy. And anyone listening, I always say this, anyone who buys that amount of candles becomes an instant best friend. I I can imagine. I can totally imagine. It was his 50th birthday. And we were invited to his 50th birthday outside of London, his house called Woodside. And we had to get a gift. And we were like, what are we going to get Elton John? We're competing with all these celebrities, Sting and Sharon Stone and Elizabeth Taylor at the time. What are we going to get him? And then we said, why don't we give him 24 couture candles, candles he can do, is that whatever he wants, we'll create them just for Elton. And we gave it to him. And he literally called us on the phone. He said, this is the best present I've ever gotten. But if you do one more thing for me, it would be the supreme gift of all times. And we said, what? And he said, if you would do this candle to benefit my foundation, 
because he was just starting the Elton John AIDS Foundation. Yeah. And back in the days where people really weren't even recognizing AIDS. Right. And so we um, obviously believed in what he was doing for, the, for AIDS. We loved Elton John. And so we launched his candle. And so his candle, so we raised, I want to say between seven and eight million dollars for his charity wow. sell the candle. And yeah. it really, well, and so everything we've ever done has been for a reason. I mean, Princess Diana, we mm-hmm. used to see the candles into Kensington Palace through a, um, another person who was a royal ma- family member. And the reason we snuck them is because she couldn't be known as an, a, 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 an icon, English icon, bringing, using American products. And then when she died, her sisters, literally both sisters, came to Laura and I and said, will you do her memorial candle? And that's how we did the Princess Diana memorial candle for that one year of her memorial. So wow. everything we've ever done has really happened, not by us searching it out, but just sort of it's just happening. It's yeah, no, I, you know, it's always I always go back to life and I always refer to it here as where you are right now is exactly where you be and where you are at that exact moment is exactly where you be. And life hap, life just unfolds naturally, you know, but are we that open is. enough to realize it? Yes, if you're open enough. So the thing yeah. is, I've always been open. I believe in light. I'm, I, you know, the Kabbalah candles came through Madonna. So Madonna yeah. used to use our candles backstage. And she, and she sent the Bergs to me to, saying, you know, would you ever do a candle to benefit the Kabbalah? And so I really didn't know much about the Kabbalah other than its secrecy. So I started to study the Kabbalah because I don't do something just to do it. I mean, I believed in Elton John, his passion for home fragrance. So there's reasons for me to do it. And then once I got into it, we launched a whole set of candles under the uh, Kabbalah belief that came with the red string that wow. was blessed in Israel. So for me, it was all spiritual. And I've always been spiritual and believe in the other side and talking to it and all that kind of stuff. So it was right up my alley. And so... Everything I've ever done has come to me because the light is always open and ready for new experiences. Now, what came to you was retirement, but then you went back into work. Why? (laughs) After the fashion retirement, for sure. I wanted a rocking chair, a sun, and a drink in my hand. That was for sure. I I mean, I just wanted warm weather. So, And you had all of that. I did. I did have all of that. And so my wife was having lunch with the number two at QVC at the time. And just so you know, when I sold my company to Bath and Body Works, I did QVC because I've been watching it since I was 15. And I remember the first thing I ever saw was a reindeer when you lifted its tail, it was made out of wood, it pooped peanut M&M. And back then they showed how many, and they were selling 39,000 of this poop and reindeer. And I thought, well, if they can sell a poop and reindeer, I can sell anything. So I went, when I started to turn the business around at Bath and Body Works and we started to grow it, I went on QVC to tell the customer about it, and we were the number one home fragrance brand at the time. And then when I left um, and stepped down from all of that, they didn't replace me. And so she was having lunch with QVC, number two. All these people are the same in the industry. I'm sure you knew this from your mother in fashion. Mm -hmm. Everyone stays the same in the industry. They may move around, but it's the same face. It's a big chessboard. (laughs) It's a big chessboard, but they're family because they're faces you've known forever. And so Laura was having lunch with him and said, join me. So I thought I'd love to. So we went to Cipriani. We had lunch. And he said, you know, we've never replaced you. Would you come back? My wife kicked me very hard under the table because she did not like the idea of me sitting in a rocking chair, warm weather on my face and a cocktail on my hand. And um, I said, if you're serious, let me know. And they were. And so that started my re-emergence into home fragrance because we launched a QVC. And now we've expanded the business past that. So you say... 
the question I was supposed to ask you was, did you fall off your rocking chair? But it sounds like you got kicked off your rocking chair. <laughs> well, I got kicked off my rocking chair and fell off at the same time. At the same time. I picked myself but back you, up. And yeah, I was going to say, but you didn't fall hard. I mean, look what it was such an, an amazing experience then. Because now. Remember that conversation about Wall Street? Yeah. Fragrance is my DNA. It's something yeah. I love. I have passion for. And I own it. My wife and I own this industry. And. You know, just this re this year, the Academy Awards of the industry is the Fragrance Foundation. Yeah, the Fifi Awards, right? The Fifi Awards. Well, this yeah. year they honored Laura and I with the Game Changer, wow. and the other person that got the award was Tom Ford. Well, and so sir. we changed we changed home fragrance. We made it not just because of our own brand, but those 150 brands we did wow. that helped all change the industry. That people don't just use it. When you and I were growing up, Max, I'm older than you. When I was growing up, we only used it when my mother was entertaining. Now you have a candle lit, Jazz. You go to your cabana outside your house just for the, for the fun of it. <laughs> right. But I have candles growing up. My first time, what re inspired me on bamboo is Lenny Kravitz had me to his home in Paris. And it's this amazing, amazing house in Paris. And what he did is he took the garden out and he planted this entire wonderful, very chic um, townhouse in Paris. And the garden was all bamboo. And the smell of it with the, the air of hypnotic. It was hypnotic, and that's what made me do that. Wait, this, there's two but things that inspired you both. So your what? wife was inspired by the white on the walls for the townhouse in New York, and you were inspired by the bamboo from the garden. Yes. Did I do my research? You did your research. <laughs> now, let me tell you. your research. Growing up, you know, I always grew up with Rigaud candles, Cypress. My father burned that throughout every house. Yeah, I had a Cy and brought Cy those over. Cypress. You know that. She brought those over to America. Yeah. And for me, growing up, that was the staple, the zebra box, the, Cy the Cypress scent, the Rigo candle with the little silver tin on top with the red ribbon. I, I see them. I, those were those were my favorite candles growing up. But now we're I'm burning your candles and I'm loving them. We you know like the illusion of time, Harry Slacken is upon us. So we have a couple more minutes, but there's so much more to talk about. So before we run, let's talk about quickly during a pandemic. This pandemic, yeah. How's business? Seriously, how's business for you guys? Okay, so anyone who tells you we're, they're okay right now is lying. It's all been a struggle for everybody. This has affected everybody the same way. Whether you own your own company, you're working for someone, you're out of work, it's a scary moment for everybody. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see baby steps taken. Um, I just heard you're going to Colorado. You know, I, I, just, I just had a haircut. We're taking baby steps back, and I think that's going to start to progress more and more um, now. But you know, it's a tough time. I mean, you know, it's a tough time. I'm diversified in my business. The stores that were not big online are quickly changing to go a bigger online business. They're doing curbside pickup at their stores. So we're doing okay. And people are staying home. So what do you do when you stay home? No faster way to make your improve your life than candles because right. A, it's scientifically proven to change your mindset and to change your mood. And it creates a different atmosphere in your home. So candles are showing a big rise in this. Lift the energy. It lifts the energy. The, but the nervousness, the exhaustion yeah. of what it's going to be, is it going to continue? That's affecting us all the same way. And so we're all in this one together. And that is the pandemic of now. So now we're uh, for me, I'm moving to plandemic. That's why I'm making plans. And every but speaking of plans, if people want to make a plan to to really charge the atmosphere of their home, where can they find your candles now? Okay, so right now they find my candles at QVC online, mm -hmm. Ulta online, or in stores as they're starting to open. 
um, and Kohl's. I just bought a bunch of them on Kohl's. There's a good deal going on too. There's a really good deal going on. And I launched personal care with Kohl's. We were supposed to actually launch it the week of the pandemic. So it's having its big launch when all the stores reopen, but it's online. So we have personal care and home fragrance at Kohl's and we have um, my home fragrance at, um, on, and Amazon um, as well. So that's where you would find my product and all different variations, different price points, four wick, three wick, that one you have to search out um, how to find it. But I hope it brings a little happiness during this difficult period um, in, so, in people's lives. And that's why I've got oh, so many different choices. I love it. And also t- tune in to QVC because Harry's going to be on QVC. When is your next appearance on QVC? I, I don't know because I have some, I, I believe it's Soon. next week. I always okay. post it on my Instagram. Go to QVC.com. So yeah, yes. perfect. All right, wonderful. Now, before I let you go, what do you want your legacy to be, Harry Slatkin? I'll tell you what, we didn't get into what we do on a charitable side um, because we have a son with severe autism. So my wife and I started a foundation for mental health and we built a brain center with Cornell and Columbia and the first um, um, charter school for mental health in the state of New York. I guess my legacy is still something that Princess Diana said to me that still resonates to this day. And she said, with all the hard work, Harry, that people think I do, if I can change one child's life, that's all I've ever wanted to do one small face. And so for me, I'm not looking to change the world. I hope someone says somewhere down the road, Harry made a difference in my life. And for me, that will be worth it. And that's what I strive for every day. That's beautiful. I love that. That's so fantastic. Now, where can people get more information about the charity? Um, That's um, um, my autism. So you can go on me. You can actually ask me all the information. You can Google Harry Slatkin or Laura Slatkin with autism. Our foundation is Next for Autism, so you can go on um, and and Google Next for Autism and find out more about it. We're founding board members of Autism Speaks. We've done a bunch of different things worldwide in the world. We're trying really to figure out how we help all this mental health issue, yeah. whether it's anxiety, depression, autism. It's all a, a, a big issue. This all you know, and it all comes down to neurodiversities and just realizing that being diverse doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means that you're different. Right. None of us are normal. I don't know what normal means. So well, I but what- you know what Whoopi Goldberg told me normal means? Normal is just <laughs> it is just a setting on the washing machine. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's all it is. And then you get rinsed. And then you get rinsed and then you get left out to dry. No, but with yeah. that said, I've got to wrap this show up. Harry Stockton, thank you so much for joining me here tonight at Max and Friends. Uh, it was great to have you on. I'm so glad we got to know each other. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, also I work a lot with autism here in South Florida. So if you want, you all can remember to go to Unicorn Children's Foundation there. And we also have the Unicorn Children's Academy where we built the school. And Max, I'd love to know more about Unicorn. So please hook me up with, a, with, with how to do it. I'd love We're going to gonna talk after the show for sure. Okay. All right. But before I let you go, I love you all for tuning in. You find me here every Sunday night on Max and Friends. And also tweet me at Max Tucci, Instagram me at Max Tucci. We're going to post all of Harry's information up on there so you can find him. Buy the candles, light a candle, even for yourself. And remind yourself that you love yourself, please. Because we just did a PSA with the Polish woman called the I Love You video where 100 women uh, say I love you. And it's so important just to spread love. So take that into this week. Bring love with you. Be the light in someone's darkness this week. All right. I love you all for tuning in. Until next time, good night and good karma. And remember to take life to the max. I'm your host, Max Tucci for Max and Friends.